0: Good morning, everyone, and I do mean everyone. Good night. It is packed out in here. That's a good thing. And uh, just to update you all uh, briefly, we uh, have been working hard on the process of expanding the seating and making this a place where more people can come from wherever and engage with the gospel and take it out into the community, into our world. So uh, that is all in the hands of Bozar right now, which means it's in the hand of God, who will work. with. uh, But man, I'm telling you, the Bozar thing has been awesome. We have loved working with them, and we're waiting for approval. And uh, so you will hear more. I hope next week we can present, if you're around, we'll fill you in on what's happening and where we are and what that's going to look like uh, coming soon. So exciting uh, things happening for expanding this place. Now, uh, another little item of business, it's a little bit personal. Um, last week, I, after I finished speaking, I walked back, and my wife goes, "Scott," and she grabbed me like, like this. She goes, "Yeah," you know, she goes, "You said you," go, she goes, "You said that C.S. Lewis wrote The Hobbit." <laughs> <laughs> so, I know for a lot of you, you were like, because I did that at the beginning of the message. So all of you, a lot of you are like, "I'm done with this guy." Okay. So I said, said, Claire, and I did it in both services, y'all. I do know who wrote Lord of the Rings. um, But uh, I said, Claire, so I'm telling you guys, if I just like drift off and say something ridiculous, just say, hey, it's okay. We're all friends. We're all family. Just fix it for me, you know, so I don't have to live with it. I think Stephen King did a great job on Lord of the Rings. (laughs) yeah uh we're starting a new series today, and uh i'm I'm really excited about it I've been thinking about it since before I actually took this job because what I had seen in the scripture were these prayers that people uh whether they're of humble or noble or they're apostles or whatever their background was they they prayed these prayers or talked about praying. They talked about it, and and it gives us an example about how we can talk to God, how we talk to the God of the universe. And I don't know about you, but I settle into a pattern of speaking to God in a certain way, mostly it's requests, Lord, can I have this, will you fix this, I need this, there's this health thing I've got, and it's just this list of requests, and by the way, God, you're great, thank you, amen. And and that's sort of, I mean, that's a, a cursory description, but that tends to be the content, and so what we call this series is Great Prayers, and it has two meanings. One is great prayers, like the prayer itself. Let's, we're going to look at these words, what they meant, what it means to us, what it teaches us about prayer. But then secondly, we're going to look at the prayer, the person who's praying. Now, if you are from Texas, prayer is the same as prayer. Uh, so I am talking about the thing that is the, the person, the prayer person who's praying, and and so the setting, the place that that person is coming from instructs us about what it is to speak to God in that context, and it's just, it's beautiful if you start to look for these prayers in the scripture, what it shows us, so we're going to look at seven or eight different prayers, Uh, in particular today, we're in the book of Ephesians, it's Ephesians 1, if you want to turn there and mark it up, uh, and uh, we'll put it up on the, the wall as well. This is one of two prayers that Paul uh, shares in the book of Ephesians. So uh, at the beginning, he describes this prayer. He's going to tell us about a prayer, and we're going to learn from that. This is, he says, this is how I pray for you. And then the next one uh, we'll hear about next week is h- him actually praying. So we're going to see from this great man of God how he communicated. And I think it's amazing the the things that are uh, contained in this little passage that we're going to read. But there are a few things I need to tell you to set it up so that you're engaged. And I'm thinking well with, within the, the context of the story. And one, is, one thing is that Paul is imprisoned; He's in house arrest. So he's paying for his r- imprisonment. And there's a guard making sure that he doesn't go anywhere. And he's in Rome. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church to encourage them. It's a church that he'd planted several years before. And, you know, when I think about that situation as a believer, if you are a believer here, well, I think when I am in the darkest and the hardest times, in fact, if I had been arrested and taken to another place because of my faith, which I just can't even fathom, I don't think I would be writing letters of intense encouragement to people in another place. I think I'd be like, woe is me, God, here's my prayer, get me out of here. Fix this, this stinks. But Paul, I'm sure he had those prayers, but at the same time, he's, he's reaching out from a place of, of darkness and despair and hurt. I think that's where I would be. And he's encouraging the church and he writes unbelievably beautiful things to the church when he's in prison. And if you're a believer, I think that's instructive to us about how we're communicating from whatever setting you find yourself in. We all have hardship. And Paul is writing out of that hardship and sending good things, the goodness of the gospel out <clears throat> but here's here is uh I think the the content the thing I want you guys to pick up on, and we'll we'll come back to it a few times in this and that's that Paul is saying there we have an immeasurable God whom you can know personally. There is this amazing thing, and I'm not a good enough communicator or poet or thinker or anything even begin to express to you this, the beauty of what Paul is talking about. You can personally know an unknowable, holy, uh, above all things, God. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you don't do anything else, when you go out of here, when you get time alone, when you're just thinking, talking about like this week, instead of talking about the fact that I attributed that book to C.S. Lewis, you can talk about the immeasurable greatness of God at lunch, and and in uh, the fact that we actually can know him personally, how is that? What does that mean? It's it's so far beyond our comprehension, but Paul's going to try to put it in a way that we can understand through describing this prayer. So that's where we're going. Uh, and, and the thing is, the reason I think this is poignant is that in prayer or in my understanding of God, which is the way I understand him is how I interact with him, right? When I I. And I get locked into kind of a little area, and I talk to him, I relate to him in that space, and I don't, like, and for me, it's not like super friendly, like totally chummy kind of a thing, and it's also not, God, you are, I'm not on my face, I'm not, there's, I'm somewhere down, like, if this is the continuum, by the way, this is the friendly side, you probably picked that up, this is the friendly side, this is the relational, and this is like the more, you guys are the more like, oh my gosh, God is amazing, this is unbelievable, we, we just get in that little niche. And, we, and Paul's, I think he's trying to break us out of that, breaking these people out of that. Um, when, when Claire and I moved into our house, we've had, our, in our garage, we have this big wall. And it's really about as big as that wall right there. It's about 15 by, I don't know, 20 or something. Anyway, it's like that. And uh, so my friend Jake Kirby said, you know what, you guys, while you're moving in, you need to build a climbing wall over there. And I was like, yes, I think that's a great idea. And, and so Jake built it, which was great. I basically did nothing. I painted or something, and he did that. And uh, he built, it's beautiful. It's awesome. And um, so we put all these holds all over it. And it had been up a week maybe, and he and I had climbed not just a touch, and I'm not a good climber at all, but you know, Jake was like, hey, Scott, we'll put some really big holds on there for you. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. So on it are these big holds, and then there's all these little tiny ones they go all over for the skilled people. So one day, about a week into the living there, I came home and um, uh, Jake was in the garage hanging out. The doors open, I come in, and there's this, a friend of his there. And this guy is like like a spider on the wall. I mean, he's just moving all over it. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? It was amazing. It was like he was like glued to it. And well, I didn't know him at that point, but Jake introduced me to him. His name is uh, Mark Smiley. And some of you know him. He used to live here. But Mark is a world class climber, and uh, you can look him up on the internet. He's amazing. His wife Janelle used to live here, so he was visiting Jake, and he's climbing all over my wall. And I realized at that moment, I was like, I thought I was doing great, you know, you know, like it was like a, for me, it's like set up like a ladder, you know, and and Mark's like, you know, moving all around because he, in, I'm sure, in the world of mountain climbing. The mountaineering, he, he has a whole different exposure than I have from the smallest things to the biggest things because he that's what he does. He's so in that space. And I think what, what I when I think about it, I realize I was so limited in what I was experiencing in that, that climbing wall. But Mark was like, I, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. There's so much more. And I think Paul is saying, look, people, there is so much more than wherever you are about who, understanding who this God is that you can be in personal relationship with. So just to set you up, I think that's where Paul is going. And, and I want to say one more little thing before we launch into the, the passage. This is an incredible theme that we, we've been in the book of John, and we see Jesus, the Son of God, the most holy, time after time interacting with compassion and love and in deep relationship with people. The holy in relationship with people. If you look at John and you start to read it with those glasses on and you see all the, the pericopes that, that are being told, you see Jesus, the, in, fully man and fully God, loving people and being in relationship with them. So it's really neat to see Paul bringing that out again because we've been talking about that over and over again if you've been here. And now Paul's gonna say, this is the way I pray. I pray that you will understand who he is but know him. So with that in mind, this is from Ephesians 1. And this is, some of you are familiar with Paul's writing. This is one sentence. And I think it actually extends beyond this a little bit. I mean, he is like, this is like the fire hose from Paul. So get ready. I had to double space it so I could actually like not lose my place. For this reason, in verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus And what is the immeasurable greatness of the, his power towards those who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, above power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, Paul is laying it down. And what's cool in the book of Ephesians is that what Paul does is he he fills these people in on important theology for the first three or four, three chapters or so. He says this is who God is. This is knowing him. And then he says, now that you know this stuff, this is what the church looks like. So this is at the very beginning. He's kind of getting the intro, he's warming it up, he's getting them ready to hear what he has to say. And so we're going to break this down into three parts. One is uh, the thing that inspired him, the thing that inspired him to actually pray and, ha- and, and tell them how he is going to pray for them, and that is their reputation. Their reputation preceded them, and that inspires him to pray. So reputation. The second one is relationship, so he's going to talk about what it is to be in relationship with God. And then he's going to talk about the royalty of God. And turn us from just that very simple understanding to us recognizing, in his readers, recognizing the incredible, immeasurable greatness of God above all things. All powers, all names, all rules, rulers of all time. So, he is inspired by their reputation. In 15, he says, For this reason, since I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. So, their reputation had made it to Rome. And maybe he was familiar with what was going on with them before. But this church was known for certain things. And I've I've thought about this quite a bit before thinking about it for this message. This idea of the reputation of the church. I think about that. I think about the reputation of the church in the United States, the whole church, like everyone who calls themselves Christians. What is that reputation? Is it I mean, it, just flat out, is it positive or negative amongst lost people? Is it positive or negative amongst people who believe? But I am especially concerned about the reputation of the church in this community. And I believe, it, it, I expect that if you are a believer, that you care about the reputation of this church in Crested Butte, CB South, Gunny, Western, everywhere. You, We care about the reputation of the church. But what should we care about in that reputation? We we can't help what people think, right? We can't fix that. We can't do enough right things to not be misunderstood. Reputations are often things that are developed just because people see or have a cursory understanding. They, they see something happen and they assume all Christians are like that. That's the one I love. You know, when something happens and they're like, oh, you Christians, you know. I don't hear that very often, but that definitely happens. And so... At the same time, I tell my kids, you know, uh, don't worry what people think about you, and your reputation is important. <laughs> okay. Okay, so somehow, our reputation is important. It does matter, but this is the thing we got to get to is, is what matters about it. What is it that we need to be known for, and then if that's what we're known for and people don't like it, that's one thing, Okay. Let me, I, I'm, this may not be the best illustration, but let me, let me point out. So when I, when I, in Dallas, for several years before I moved here, I was uh, uh, really big in uh, road racing, bike, bike racing on the road. Uh, in, in Crested Butte, there's only one road, so I've kind of left that behind. <laughs> but there is this whole culture, subculture, we'll call it, of road bike racers. And some of you are familiar with this world. Um, these are grown men who shave their legs and have terrible tans. Okay, terrible, terrible tans. In fact, I was it was shocking. It was a few years ago, it was probably six seven years ago, and we had a fourth of July party and our whole team, we had a team that we raced with was there. And so we'd all done a big hundred-mile ride and we get to this pool and everybody's throwing off their stuff. And when I got when I went out to the pool, I was like, oh gosh, because everyone had this terrible, it looked like they were wearing white t-shirts. <laughs> it was so strange looking, and everybody's like skinny. You know, kind of emaciated and stuff. That's the look of the bike rider, you know. It, but <laughs> <laughs> in, in that scene, in that particular scene, uh, some of you know what I'm talking about or familiar with this whole world. But uh, the thing was, you could have a, a great tan. And you could look the part, and you could shave your legs and be the whole thing and have the sunglass tan and the whole thing and a great bike, but that doesn't mean that you are competitive in any way, shape or form. And so people could look I could look at some people and say, "Oh, you must be sincere, you must be intense," and and take that as a surface evaluation of that person, and that just doesn't work. And I think that's the beauty of what Paul says he says. I'm not hearing a reputation about what you look like on the outside. The worst thing we can do, y'all, as Christians, is try to make it look like we've got it together because we are broken and messed up. And if you're, I don't know, over 14, you know we are broken and messed up. So let's not pretend that we got it together. That's step number one. Um, But we are, uh, Paul says, this is what you're known for. This is what I'm hearing. This is the beauty, and I'm so thankful for this. He says, The first thing I hear is of your deep faith in God. What you're known for is a deep faith in God. Man, if we're known for that, it's okay if it's misunderstood. Because when Paul had a deep faith in God, man, nothing else mattered. And there was no question. No matter what his circumstances were, his deep faith in God was the foundation from which everything sprung. Deep faith in God characterized who he was. And if that's who we are, if that's the people, the reputation that goes out, man, that's fabulous. That is, that's where we need to be. The reputation will follow from that. But then he says one other thing. He says, it's a deep faith in God that I see in you, but I also see that you have a love for one another. You love each other. And, man, that is uh, a beautiful thing about this church and the potential of other churches is to love each other and care for each other. And it's super easy, by the way, to love people who love you back right? Man, I'm so guilty. I liked it. You give me a hug, I will give you a hug. You know, we're, we're friends. I like to be liked. Some of you might be able to relate to that. And so we begin to look to the people that we like and get comfortable with that, and we like each other, and we love each other. But, you know, and that's part of love. That's part of loving each other. But real love is the litmus test, I think, is found more in telling the truth in working through hard things together. I, if I don't tell you the truth, I'm not showing, I'm, all I'm doing is protecting my little feelings. Right? We, if we're going to love each other, we have to tell the truth, and we have to work through the hard things together. And, and Jesus says, when they see you loving each other, then they're going to know that there is a God in the universe, this God. So if we're known for deep faith in God, and we're known then for loving each other through the hard times speaking truth to each other working through it that's that's where the reputation can spring from and if it's not a good one there's not much we can do about it that's the reputation these oh god those guys love god that would be awesome we want we want to be known they love each other they're seeing that and one thing we have to remember whenever we're talking about Paul is the the mission that Jesus gave Paul personally was that he would reach the people outside, that he would go outside the confines of the Jewish community and reach everyone. And so if people are loved within the community, within this the space of the church, that means that they were loved into it. Okay? That's always implicit when Paul writes. When he's talking about the engagement that's happening in the church, he's also talking about what's happening outside the church. So when we show that love, truth, acceptance, and warmth outside the church, it, it will bring or else no one's ever going to come to know the truth. So Paul's always thinking about that kind of love that extends beyond the walls, beyond the the tight relationships. So love is most evident in that difficulty. So first is this this reputation that Paul hears. This is what it is and I I'm, I'm he says I'm so inspired by this reputation that now I'm going to be praying for you like this. And I have been praying for you like this. I'm going to pray for this relationship. I want you to have a relationship with God. Let me read this to you. 17, he prays, he says, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, in verse 17, may give you this the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now that, that verse, that passage, doesn't say anything about relationship. Unless you look at the word knowledge, that word he says, I want you to have this knowledge of him, this special revelation of knowledge in God, uh, and of him. What he is talking about, it, this is a word that is uh, that, that doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean factual knowledge or esoteric information about a person. It means true engagement. Uh, truly knowing, and it, it means it includes the idea of intimacy, like transparency, like that you can be with God, absolutely yourself. You can communicate with Him how you want to communicate with Him. He loves you like you are. You are completely validated within Him. You are in relationship with Him, and that's what that word, the knowledge. Of him means. So Paul's calling us into that space. So if you just read that, if I just read that without seeing a, a little bit bigger translation, it would be hard to see the um, the truth that's behind what he's saying. I want you to be in deep relationship with the God of the universe. And I, I think it's cool then he says right after that in verse 18, I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. That's a cool word picture. Have the, the eyes enlightened of the deepest part of your soul. That's what he's talking about when he talks about your heart. I want that to be enlightened. This is what I'm praying, that your eyes, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And I think Paul probably is is thinking back to his own conversion. You remember how that happened? He is persecuting the church. Jesus basically hits him in the face and the glory of Jesus blinds him. He's blind for several days. And then he's healed of that and begins a complete transformation he went from from this blindness of persecuting the church and misunderstanding god and only in the son of god to this person we're reading from today right and there was this i mean if you if you um, you don't have to do this now you can do it later if you want but if you close your eyes it limits all the information you can take in there is, i can only see basically brown um i open my eyes and there's a lot going on. There are a lot of colors in here. There are a lot of people, a lot of lives, a lot of history, a lot of people burning up in the balcony. Sorry about that. So when he says, I'm praying that your the eyes of your heart will be opened, he's saying, I want you to go from it as if it were you were blind. In relation to God, and open your eyes and see that much more, there's a tremendous difference to go from seeing nothing to seeing all and he, so he's saying, let's get out of that zone of where and I'm saying where we just have this very limited understanding of who God is and and open our eyes the eyes of our heart the deepest part of us and see the much bigger picture of who He is have the eyes of your life your heart enlightened Uh, I just got back late last night from Arkansas my son uh, is going to graduate school there in Little Rock and so I was helping him move in and I'm actually pretty sad you know from that I know a lot of you've been through that but man dropping off your kids is a bummer (laughs) Um, how many of y'all been through that come on okay let's hug after the service I got to get pumped up. I need some cake or something. I don't know. But um, anyway, so he had this uh, induction ceremony to start school. And so they had a speaker, they had a physician speaking at this big event. And uh, it, with this all this inspirational information to keep the students motivated and excited about their career. And so... Uh, I want to just tell you an excerpt from what she said. She said she had a a client, a a patient come in whom she treated clinically. She gathered information about this woman who was uh, uh, 70 years old and was having just intense pain in different parts of her body. And she would try to treat that. She would gather the information. She would do what she could. And then the, she said, come back in a month. And that month after month, there was new pain, and nothing was really getting fixed, and there was no direct correlation to her work and what was happening in the life of this woman. And she, she just got more and more frustrated. She's like, I can't figure this out, you know. And so now when the woman would come, she'd see the, the, girl, the woman's name on her list, and she'd be like, oh, God. Well, one day she said, you know, to the woman, she said, I remember that when we first met, you told me, that you had a traumatic accident when you were young. Will you tell me about that just in case? He said, well, when I was 14, I was in an accident where a train derailed and a bunch of people were killed all around me. And I was totally broken and was in a body cast for, for six months and just changed your life as a 14-year-old. And, you know, you, you can imagine what that might look like. And, uh, and that led to finding out more and more about who this woman was about her life, about her marriage, about addiction, about things that she was dealing with, the suffering that she'd been through. And after meeting, she began to know the woman. She went from clinical information, yes, I know that, I've heard that, I get it bored, to I know you. I'm engaged with you. I'm your friend. And they, she started to see a healing happen as she was engaged in the personal relationship with this person. When they, became, when they became friends, and now they're, they're dear friends. So, Paul is saying, go beyond the clinical information you have about God, the stuff that you can recite with your eyes closed, and really look at Him. Look at who He is, get to know Him, and, and know Him in that personal way. So, he's praying for that personal relationship that we would go beyond just information and find that thing. And then finally, this royalty is the word that I'm I'm using to describe this thing that's over here that is what God is, where Paul describes it, beyond everything you can possibly imagine. I love the way he just carries on. If you look like it, verse 21, he says, You are far above all rule, all authority power, dominion above every name that is named, not in this age, but also the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet. He just goes on effusively about the immeasurable greatness of God, the God who can be known personally. And I think one of the the best takeaways for me in this passage is that when we're wondering how do we talk to God, instead of perhaps one instead of uh, going to him and saying, God, here's my list of my problems and the situations that I'm facing, there's nothing wrong with that. He's our friend. But instead of doing that at all, take words like this, or words from the Psalms, and speak them to God. Lord, you are far above all, you, you place Jesus far above all rule and authority, above all power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You put all things under the feet of Jesus. You gave him as head over the church, which I am a